Grace, mercy, and peace to you from God, our Father, and from our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. Uh, The text for today is from Revelation chapter 2. We're still in our letters to the churches. Uh, Just again, a reminder of a couple of things. First, there is so much in here that we just can't fit into a sermon, especially because it's like Bible study material. So encouraging you to come on Wednesday evening for that Bible study at six o'clock. We do just a quick five-minute opening with everybody in here. We just touch on something in Luther's small catechism. The kids all bug out. They take off, uh, and then the adults stay, and we do this Bible study. We've been averaging 40 to 50 uh, on a Wednesday evening. It's been a really good Wednesday evening presence in the house We've averaged like 30 or so online, too. So we actually have a ton of people doing this. Um, I know some people, it's, it's like, man, we, we go deep. This is what I love about this Bible study. It's different from other Bible studies that I do. This one, we do go deep into stuff. There's, there's supplemental readings. There's all kinds of other stuff. Um, and I know people will go back home and, and watch online a second time and pause and rewind and watch again. Um, some people even love to just watch online so they can pause and take some notes and then start again. It's it is that deep. We do really get down into some really cool conversations. Um, and yeah, last week I was barefoot for no really good reason. I just I had flip flops on and I decided I didn't want flip flops on anymore. So um, the church that we are talking about today in Thyatira is a church that, well, it, it's not necessarily under a great deal of persecution but there's something kind of insidious that's going on. And remember, all of these churches are real churches with these real problems, but they also have a lot of implications for us today because we are like these churches in many ways as well. So this from a, a granular level all the way down to you as a person, as a Christian, all the way up to our church, every church around the world will struggle with these same things. Because this is the word of our Lord and Savior, Jesus, would you please stand? Jesus said, and to the angel of the church in Thyatira, write the words of the Son of God, who has eyes like a flame of fire, and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patient endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. But I have this against you, that you tolerate that woman Jezebel who calls herself a prophetess and is teaching and seducing my servants to practice sexual immorality and to eat food sacrificed to idols. I give her time to repent, but she refuses to repent of her sexual immorality. Behold, I will throw her into a sickbed, and those who commit adultery with her I will throw into great tribulation, unless they repent of her works." And I will strike her children dead. And all the churches will know that I am he who searches mind and heart. And I will give to each of you according to your works. But to the rest of you in Thyatira, who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. The one who conquers and who keeps my works until the end, to him I will give authority over the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron as when earthen pots are broken in pieces, even as I myself have received authority from my Father, and I will give him the morning star. 
He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. This is the gospel of our Lord. You may be seated. Brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, we're all expecting this time to come in Revelation when things get kind of weird, right? And here we have a good case of, of not, not symbolic teaching, but again, we, we like to use this concept of literalistic writing and thinking, meaning it's a real thing, um, but it's, it's sort of representative of more than just this thing. And to the church in, in Thyatira, what they are struggling with is not literally a woman named Jezebel. Right? you got to get a little bit of background information on it. It's not just a, a woman named Jezebel. It's, it's this woman named Jezebel from the Old Testament, In the Old Testament, there is this character, Jezebel, and she leads the people of Israel astray through that big, silly word I used earlier, syncretism, Um, but we'll get to that in just a minute. So it's it's not literally as though there's a a woman there and and God's like really angry with that woman right there. (laughs) No, it's, it's, it's the teaching, it's the concept, it's everything that goes along with this character and the story in the Old Testament which like I was saying, I would love to spend so much time diving into that, um, but it's just not possible in a sermon. That's why Wednesday nights are Wednesday nights. So we will talk about that situation in the Old Testament of the people of Israel this coming Wednesday night, just again, an advertisement to come because it is such a fun study. Instead, let's take a look at the very beginning where Jesus introduces himself as the words of the Son of God who has eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze. I'm going to focus on that one part of that phrase, Son of God. Because this is the very unique message that that Jesus has to the people in his church. That he is Son of God and Son of Man. This is a very unique thing. And, and as I was saying in confession and absolution, sometimes, and, and the children's message as well, sometimes we forget um, just how incredibly unique our faith is. It's, it's not like anything else. Every year, sometime uh, a few months before, maybe a few weeks before Christmas or a few weeks before Easter, for some reason, the, the secular world starts to broadcast that these, these things about Jesus are not unique to Christianity. Oh, there was a different God who was born to a virgin in, in some story out of Egypt. Or there was you know, the, a God who was killed and then raised from the dead, like the Easter story, somewhere in, in some other Africa or some place out there. There's these other faiths that, you know, they're all kind of similar in some way, shape, or form. And, and the secular world wants to do that because they kind of want to just eat, they want everybody to be happy. Everybody play nice. It's, it's the bumper sticker, coexist. Everybody just coexist, play nice. We're all the same. We all believe that somebody created us. We all believe that there's a path to something better, something important. We all believe we should be good people and do nice things and, and help the poor and, and the sick and feed the hungry. And we should all do all of these things. So we're all pretty much the same. And that is exactly counter to what Jesus says to this church. 
And you have to be a student a little bit of the Old Testament as the people who are hearing this in this church most certainly were. This is why he can just say the, the name Jezebel and the whole concept of everything that happened with Jezebel just pops in their mind. They know what this is. And in the same way, he uses this, this phrase, son of God, eyes like a flame of fire and whose feet are like burnished bronze and immediately in the heads of all of those people hearing it, those first century Christians, they're hearing Daniel, the book of Daniel and his prophecies, and where it talks about one who has these eyes of fire and, and feet burnished bronze, like, like all, of, all of these things they're hearing. It's actually not part of the text I'm going to put on the screen, but it's, it's part of what they're talking about. But in Daniel, let's get Daniel up there now, he says, I saw in the night visions, and behold, with the clouds of heaven there came one like a son of man. And he came to the ancient of days, that's the father, who was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away, and his kingdom, one that shall not be destroyed. So he uses that same language to draw our attention there, but the people in the church are hearing he used the phrase son of God. But Daniel used son of man. So the, the question that should pop into our minds is, which one is he? Is he son of God or is he son of man? And the answer is, both. He is both of these things. And this is what makes Christianity so starkly different than any other faith or religion that's out there is, is that our God became man. You don't find those in those other ancient religions that I will be the first one to say seem to have some components that are similar. And frankly, I would say that they do because they, thousands of years ago, borrowed bits and pieces from Judaism or early Christianity. Christianity didn't borrow from them. <laughs> Judaism didn't, didn't borrow from them. Israel didn't borrow from other countries parts of their faith and incorporate it. The exact opposite is true. And in fact, those times when, those moments when, Israel did reach and grab and start to incorporate other religions in a small way into their faith. God got angry, and he sent, he sent problems, distress, and issues upon Israel. He, he caused them to be in, in great pain and suffering. He caused armies to invade. He he'd made it so that their life was miserable until they repented, and got rid of all of those. And that's exactly the problem of Jezebel. And Jezebel was encouraging and teaching and, and pulling in gods from other countries and other nations into Israel so that Israel was doing this thing of sort of incorporating into the, the kingdom of God pieces of other faiths and other religions. That's what we call syncretism. When we, we kind of say, oh, yeah, they're sort of the same. They're, they're sort of these things that, that we can 
incorporate into what we believe as well. We can have Jesus and also these other things. And there's religions out there that are actually, well, they're good at doing this. And one time I was ministering to a, a woman who had been Buddhist. And she said, the problem was never getting Jesus on the bus. The problem was getting Buddha off the bus. Because in that faith, another prophet, another teacher, another one who is good, another one who is enlightened like Jesus, that was something that, that Buddhism, well, look, look, pull that right in. We can, we can have Jesus too. But that's not, <laughs> that's not the faith that God has for us. That's what it means when he says he's a jealous God. He doesn't mean that in terms of, of, of sin like we do. When we're jealous of something, we are, we are sinning. But when God is jealous, it's because he wants just you. And he wants all of you. He doesn't want part of your heart. He doesn't want part of your life. He doesn't want little bits and pieces of who you are. He wants all of you in his kingdom forever. His jealousy of you is pure and it is beautiful and it is powerful. He doesn't want your attention split anywhere else to any other faith. He doesn't want you putting trust in anything else. He wants just you and he wants to be only yours. It's, it's beautiful. It's lovely and it's wonderful. But unfortunately, it's not always easy because the idea of universalism, that we're all sort of on the same page with some God somewhere, is attractive. And it's also just universally wrong. <laughs> it just is. And that's the hard word for the people in the church of Thyatira, and it's the hard word for us too. Because it, it would be so much easier in our minds to just de to deny it, to, to adopt that other people with their other religions are just like us. And as long as they're genuine and as long as they're sincere, then, then God will, will love them the same and treat them the same and bring them to the, the very same resurrection that he is giving to all of us. I kind of wish that was true. I'm not going to lie and say I don't find that attractive and, and find that to be a, a nice thing. It would be nice to me. But I'm not God. <laughs> and what's nice to me is not as important as what is nice to God. Because on, on some level, I do understand how, you know, I don't, I don't want my kids treating other people like their parents the same as me. As much as I love when we have good friends who can parent my kids, when I have neighbors who can discipline my kids and I trust them with that, they're my kids. And, and just because they get along really well with somebody else, just because it's awesome when they stay overnight at their house or they go on a vacation with them, doesn't mean that they get to say, these are now my children. No, no, they're, they're my kids. Nobody else's kids. They're, they're mine forever and ever. And if I feel like their, their loyalty and their heart and these things start to drift towards somebody that, that they shouldn't, I go, no, 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 come back. Come back. I, I'm in a unique situation, Joni and I should say, are in a unique situation where we have kids who are adopted. 
I'm not threatened because they have genetic parents that live somewhere. I'm not, I don't feel this way because you know, one day when they meet, they'll say, these are your genetic parents, and, and they'll have a relationship because at the end of the day, they're my kids. I've adopted them into my family, and, and their loyalties aren't split. Their hearts aren't split. They can love their genetic parents also, but they love us in a unique and specific way that is not universal to everyone else. See, when you're thinking of it that way, then you understand the Father in heaven wants your love and your relationship with him to be specific like that. Unique, specific, and like nothing else. It's part of the beauty of the gospel in that, that it's unique and specific that God would become man, and it's unique and specific that the sins of the world... My sins, your sins, sins before Jesus, sins after Jesus, up to the moment of your death, the, the very last sin before, before you pass away, the last thing you do, if it's, if it's sinful, that sin was paid for on the cross. It's, it's finished. It's, no, no God pays for our sins other than the one true God. Every other faith and religion has a component of it where you have a responsibility to make amends. Every other faith and religion. And quite honestly, that's a pretty universal thing amongst people. People in general have a responsibility. If, if I break something, I'm responsible to fix it. If I'm driving my neighbor's car, if I'm borrowing their car, and, and I break it, I'm responsible to fix it. And, and if I don't, we all would agree that, that this, that's a problem with me. This is, this is an issue. Pastor Luke did not uphold his end of the bargain. It just makes sense to us. What doesn't make sense is that the thing that I do, my sin, my, my pride, my arrogance, the, the little white lies or the deceptions or the whatever, the anger, the frustration, all of those things that, that are my fault that I should pay for, I don't. I've never paid for a single sin. Neither of you. Quite frankly, the only ones who do are the ones who die without faith. And that payment is eternal death. You see, there is, there is nothing, nothing more unique and special. And this is one of the core tenets. If we were to just take apart my theology, my thinking, my heart, if you were to just sit with me for hours and hours and dig through all of the things that I find special and wonderful from baptism to the Lord's Supper to the church, the Holy Spirit, prayer, all of these things, you pull all of these aside down to a foundation and a core of why I believe in Christianity and, and I reject all other beliefs and faith, it's because it's weird. <laughs> it's because there's nothing like this anywhere. And it doesn't make any sense to me. And that makes sense. Because God can't be like me. Because I'm petty. <laughs> I'm mean sometimes. I'm arrogant, I'm rude. I'm lots of things that I don't want. God. I'm glad God's not those things. 
And he does a thing that, that frankly, most of us wouldn't do. Not, not just take the sin of someone, but everyone. And, and this whole concept and idea of, of the gospel that, that he would do it for us, it doesn't make any sense to, to any culture, any, any people group, anywhere in the world, and that makes sense. It's because it's so weird, because it makes so little sense, because it's so foreign and so alien. I go, that sounds like something beyond my understanding, sounds like a God sort of thing. And that makes sense. And so I am grateful that it is so specifically different and identifiable that I can say that is true. And that is what I hold on to and nothing else. And that truth leads us to, I want to make sure I hit my points here. Um, First, I want to see 219. I know your works, your love and faith and service and patience, endurance, and that your latter works exceed the first. What, What the message is to that church is to say, it's not that you're doing bad things. <laughs> it's, it's not that the, the, th- the stuff you are doing is, is universally wrong in that you are also helping the poor and feeding the hungry and, and being with the sick and you're, you're doing all of these good things. He takes note of all of that and he says, the problem is not the work that you're doing. The problem is that, that you're believing it is good and right because it's Jesus's work and it's also Apollos's work or it's this God or this goddess. It's, it's all of these things. You, you see it, the source as the same. And he says even in 20, 21a, I'm just gonna read the first half, gave her time to repent, giving the church time to say, I recognize that I have begun to mix my faith with other religions. You don't have to stop doing those good things. That's not the problem. The problem is to repent and get everybody except for Jesus off of the bus. Now let's go to the last point in the sermon, which is not your job. If you're using this book, you got to flip a page. you got to go to 24 and 25. But to the rest of you in Thyatira who do not hold this teaching, who have not learned what some call the deep things of Satan, to you I say, do not lay on you, I do not lay on you any other burden. Only hold fast what you have until I come. This is the beautiful part of the gospel um, for us practically, right? In, in real world scenario and situations, God isn't putting onto us another burden of go therefore and, and root out in the church and find those people who also believe this other thing. Go and, and find them and cast them out of the church. God will be the one who does this. So you worry about yourself, right? You, you hold fast and no extra burden placed upon you because the gospel of Jesus Christ isn't about burden and work to do. He's the one who does the work. So what is the job that God has given to us? What does he call for us to do? It's the stuff that we have been doing. 
the church in Thyatira, but the church at Living Faith and the church around the world who does feed the hungry and, and be of service to poor people and, and those who are in need, loving our neighbors and our brothers and sisters and, and all of that. He says, keep doing that, but hold fast to the truth that it is special and unique. Hold fast to just how unique this thing is. You're not like anyone else. If you go to a food shelter or a shelter or a food bank and, and you are serving alongside somebody who is atheist doing the same work that you are doing or they're Buddhist and doing the same work that you are doing or a Packer fan and doing the same thing you are doing. <laughs> Deep things of Satan, I assumed were Packers. But anyways. <laughs> doing those things and, and, and being there does not mean you're the same. God doesn't believe you're like all other people. He knows you not just specifically and your, your troubles and your trials, but you specifically are his kid. You specifically and uniquely belong to him because of your faith. There's no judgment upon other people doing good things. Good, do those good things. They help other people. We're not here to, to say uh, we only feed Christians who are hungry or we only love those poor people who are Christians. We, that's not how this <laughs> works. That's not our job. Our job isn't to discern who we love and say we reach out to those who are like us. No, no, that's God's job. God will take care of all of that. Our job is to do the work the work that is so simple and so easy for us to do that it's not a burden. And the reason it's so easy for us to do it as, as not a burden is because the Spirit of God resides in us and it renews us. This is different. When somebody else is serving the Lord, oftentimes if, if they're not a believer, one who trusts in Christ, it's because they feel guilty Maybe they feel ashamed. Maybe they, they see all that they have and say, I really should give. I really should do. Or maybe it's because they feel pride. They want somebody to be like, wow, you went down and did this. I sure did. Look at me. I'm a good. They're virtue signaling to the world. Not us. We do these things of love because we know we were first loved. And it makes no real sense to do it without any sort of reward. Not, nobody's going to give you something in God's kingdom because you did this, because it's already all been given to you. There's no extra thing. There's no better spot in the kingdom of God than the one you already have. You, you can't do enough good stuff and serve enough people in order to get a better seat to see the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. It's all been granted to you already. So you don't do this for a reward, emotional, physical, financial, or anything like that. That's, that's not why we serve. And that in itself is unique and special and different than anyone else out there who doesn't have this same specific and beautiful relationship with God. And that's what I want you to hold fast to today. That you're different you're special and you're unique, not because of what you do, what you say, how well you sing, how, how many Bible studies you attend. or how You're not unique and special to God for any, any of those reasons. You're unique and special to God 
because he has placed his name on you. He has given you that faith. He has washed you in the blood of the lamb. He has loved you before you loved him. He has marked you as his own kid. You are special and unique for that reason. And that's a very special and unique God who would do such a thing for us. Amen. May the peace which surpasses human understanding guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Would you please stand to pray with me? Heavenly Father, I thank you for creating each and every person on earth special and unique. But I give you thanks for making us gathered here today, but those of your children all around the world who trust and believe in you special and unique because you love us and because you have called us your own, that we are brothers and sisters in Christ and brothers and sisters with Christ by virtue of that gift that you have given to us. And I rejoice, Father, at the opportunity to serve, to love, to to do all of those things because you have served and loved me first. Amen. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give to you his peace. Amen.